chump that doesn't have forgotten how to speak is called Michael. We are the hosts of absurdly long-lived Bowie-related podcast, Breaking Glass. We have, well, we essentially we have completed that to our, well, to our satisfaction, I think. <laughs> enough. Yeah, not, not completed, but to, yes, as you say, to our because we've sure been talking about him for four sodding years. <laughs> he's, not, he's not coming back. And he's still dead. He's still dead, everyone. Much to uh, our chagrin. Much to our eternal chagrin. But we, in the fallow period between Scary Monsters in 1980 and his death, there were some albums that we didn't enjoy quite as much. And we found ourselves periodically just talking about things that weren't David Bowie. And that is not what our crack hardcore dozen listeners wanted. So, what we've decided to do is this. The listening party. Michael. The listening party pod. Yes, hello. My name is Mike. He is Adam. Who we are and why we do this is is no consequence at all. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it won't discuss itself. We met at university and uh, we're now in our 30s and have spent the intervening years just talking about music in a variety of beer gardens up and down the length and breadth of the UK. And we thought we'd inflict that on people. His his musical taste, I, I will admit, I'm going to say now, cards on the table, is a damn sight more diverse than mine as mine tends to list list heavily towards the white and the dead. We're talking men that went to art school, maybe one of them wore a cape, but I'm probably going to enjoy that sort of thing. If at least one member of them is dead, I can't stress that enough. I don't want anybody contemporary, because then I might have to listen to new things that would challenge my prejudices, and I can't be having that. We're Unfortunately, shake up your life here. you are going to try and attempt to... <laughs> wrench me from my very comfortable rut. Every screaming episode, yes. So the format's very simple. Each episode, Adam and I will take it in turns to pick a new album. We we may love it to both wholeheartedly. We may hate it. Or we may never heard it before. We just think, that's an album we should probably give some listens to. Yeah, I'm sure we've both got some blind spots in our knowledge. Uh, certainly, today's first album is probably one of my biggest musical black spots, as I have little to no knowledge of the band in question. I see, and um, is, is the band in question a huge dramatic reveal? Well, no, it's your band, so I figured I'd give you the, you know, oh, Michael, the opportunity Michael, to Michael. go they're, they're not so much my band as they are the world's. We're speaking, of course, about a, a little-known power trio from outside of Toronto called Rush, who I really like, and Mike is a shrieking snob about. Hey, I've never been snobby about them. I mean, yes, now now one of them has passed away. Uh, I feel more... <laughs> I, I feel like I could listen to them now. That's what gives, I mean. Gives it that real cachet. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Mm. Also, what a spectacular guy he was. Have you done any reading or research into him? Into the man that the the faithful called the professor? No, my seriously, my rush knowledge is just... I love prog, to a point. I love metal. (laughs) I love rock. I love silly stadium rock. But I just have this chasm you realize you realize of course that what you've just described is essentially a venn diagram with the word mm. rush <laughs> pumping in the center mm. you've got geddy lee neil peart or pert if you prefer and alex lifeson and they right. make an enormous noise mm. for three they're also in they're men that i'm inclined to like anyway because um, I get the I get the strong impression from watching them in interviews, Mike, that we would enjoy them. Mm-hmm. They appear to be bored by a number of uh, interviews, whilst also being scrupulously polite. <laughs> um, Always enjoyed that. Well, yeah, I mean, Canadian. But it's such an absolute pleasure to watch them listen politely to a question and go, hmm, <laughs> when it's, it's, it's clearly facile. Yeah, they're three clever guys. And um, uh, two of the band are the son of Holocaust survivors. Which does they ever play into Well, it does, yeah. At all? No, it does because, um, well, in a sense, because in they're, they're, they're sort of the album that made them was 2112, which is the one with where like, the first side is all one song. And it's about, right. would you believe, some sort of dystopian future where music is banned. I feel like a number of bands have made that song, but Rush. Did I've it, just written an album like that. Well, Rush did it better, Jeez. and they did it better than you. Um, then, but Neil was reading an awful lot of Ayn Rand. You know, Atlas Shrugged. Is it Ayn Rand? Could well be, but she's one of those people or one of those writers that some unsavoury types <laughs> have taken as a badge of honour, and some unthinking people have decided that if you read something and are inspired by it, that means you subscribe wholeheartedly to each and every one of its doctrines. Right, okay. That's where I got my love of lasagna and hating Mondays from. Yes, of course, but you do subscribe to all of Garfield's doctrines. Mm. You also live to give Odie a hard time. (laughs) A little pisher. (laughs) But a lot of them wrote them off as being, a lot of journalists at the time wrote them off as being, well, fascists. And the two huh. son of literal Holocaust deniers um, were, I'm going to say, very Canadian about it, but also slightly cross. I imagine there was such polite indignation about that. Oh, polite indignation up the wazoo. However, so, that's 2112, and we're here to talk about moving pictures. Moving pictures. So, Adam, a bit of context, if you please, for moving mm. pictures. <laughs> The year, Mike, is 1980. David Bowie has released Scary Monsters and everybody's really enjoying it. Oh, fantastic. Meanwhile, in Canada, probably, they are writing songs and they've they've been on tour. They've had their hit with an album in their hit in the in a hit song from the previous album uh, called Spirit of Radio, which if you've Mm. ever listened to rock radio in the US, you have heard. Um. It's one of those songs. 
And but they go back into the studio, they cancel the tour, they go to the studio, and they try to produce an album where they said in an interview, they've said, uh, like, we've we'd done the incredibly long, incredibly difficult songs where they're 20 minutes long and they have eight different time signatures in them. And we did all that stuff because we could, because we were really good at playing. Um, mm. But what we decided to do was try and condense all of that into actual songs rather than, and I'm using air quotes, pieces. Now, I like all of that stuff, as you know, but they actually tried to make essentially, and a lot of people will be offended by this term, but sort of prog pop because they are, with the exception of the camera eye, they're all brought in well under five minutes and they are songs rather than anything else. Mm. Then, and one of the other things that's notable about the album is a lot of the themes on it were our fame and so on and their reaction to it. Um, the irony being that this album made them eight times as famous as they had been in the past because of songs like Tom Sawyer, which became even bigger US rock radio staples. Also, Tom Sawyer is a complete belter. So a bit of a uh, Pink Floyd the Wall situation a bit there. Yes, but um, not as tedious as that. For a, it's only quicker. Um, well, I'm going to set my stall out now and say for a confirmed prog rock fan and, nay, apologist, I find Pink Floyd awfully farty. <laughs> wow, your controversial opinions here at the party already. Well, I'm, I'm... And there's no, no, no one even, even here yet. <laughs> well, getting the baby start. Realistically, it's like a lot of parties that you and I have attended when it ended up being you and I in a room on our own talking about music and then going home. Because it, it, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely incredible how few women find that intoxicating. <laughs> so why, why, why is it you... Why, why, why? Why did you think um, moving pictures would be... A good place to start, both because, with the party and brush. Because, um, for one, it. I thought, and I'll be. I'm going to ask you in a second what your initial observations were, but knowing you and your tastes, as I believe that I do, um, I thought that throwing you in at the deep end to Geddy Lee shrieking for 15 minutes about how Kublai Khan dined on honeydew would which does happen and is excellent but i i thought that might be a bit of a turn off for you i also am aware that you have a soft spot for 80s synth sort of rock i do i really do. do and do. also the opening to witch hunt which has got <laughs> the the great like the bells and so on i thought you i've heard you listen to a billion songs that have an introduction of slow bells <laughs> And a ponderous bass opening. You God. love all that crap. So no, I thought, I you, if you were going to dig Rush, I thought this would be your gateway drug. Mm. Now, I'm, I don't necessarily, I don't, pardon me, I don't necessarily believe that that has worked because you sent me some vague and mysterious <laughs> messages, all of which <laughs> seemed quite negative in tone. <laughs> no i wasn't i wasn't negative i think it was um more of a huh so th this is rush is it well it's not it's uh, one it's one incarnation of rush one iteration yeah. of rush 
No, no, I understand that. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I at least knew the name Moving Pictures. I knew Tom Sawyer. Uh, honestly, couldn't tell you. Have had I heard it before? I probably had at some point in my life, but didn't ring any bells when I, I heard I it. I think I've played bits of it to you when we were drunk. Probably. You know, before uh, the curry arrives. First reaction was it left me completely cold. You yes, Geddy Lee's, Geddy Lee's voice did absolutely nothing for me. I thought, oh, yeah. oh my. That's his. That's the voice. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like high that. and nasal? <laughs> oh, yes. Wasn't expecting that at all. After uh, a while, though, you admit... It, particularly if you've been sort of raised on rock, which is altogether more sort of bluesy, where the voices have got a little bit more, maybe a little bit more gruffness. Bit of bass in it. Yeah, uh, unless. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it was just it's more of an ear adjustment thing. Yeah, because having listened to it a few times since, I've definitely I've been, I've grown accustomed to his voice. Um, but yeah, that first listen where it's like, oh, this, this is too much treble in here. There's too much treble. I need it. I need this bringing down a bit. Come on, baby. Come on, bring, get just it. Bring it down. Just bring it on down. Just bring it. Bring it on down. Get it. Yeah. However, um, speaking from where I am, it's Geddy. Don't change a thing. <laughs> Stay exactly as you are. Yeah, it's a bit. I remember the first time after. Months and months of hearing the name Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is the biggest new thing in pop, and she's amazing. She's like Bowie and Madonna wrapped into one. And I finally hear Lady Gaga. I was like, huh. So Lady Gaga makes all right to average pop music then. Lady and Gaga it was just complete... is not like David Bowie. She is not like David Bowie. She is not like David Bowie. She's not like David Bowie. And um, we would know, being the hosts of a middling podcast. Of a Breaking Glass with David Which Bowie catalogue. Frequently criticised. Oh, get over <laughs> it, man. We had like a few comments on Reddit and iTunes. Well, I've already slagged off Pink Floyd, so I'm not exactly expecting us to be awash with love. <laughs> but yes, uh, Rush, I, because it was such a, because Adam, it was such a blind spot for me and then hearing it and it was just, okay, that's, that's terribly synthy. And like you say, I have a quite a penchant for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the synth. And What's I, even better is that when they play it live, he plays the synth with his toes, man. Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, dear. Well, they, they're, one of the interesting things about them is they wrote, or certainly they did, they recorded every song except one. With, with their view, nipples. With a view to it being played live. So... Even though there's an enormous sound, which is because it was 1981, crisp as a bell, there is they they could replicate absolutely everything live except one song, which they couldn't play live for a couple of years. What because of I don't know, child payments, something like that? Uh, because they didn't have a church bell and a mob, I suppose. Um, mm. Anyway, you were. <laughs> You were wibbling on about Rush and being broadly offensive. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just saying, <laughs> about me a much, person. A much cherished LP. I just said it was my first time listening to it. So, you know, it's just, it's a bit like when Stuart Lee sat down and listened to Ziggy Stardust for the first time. And he was just be like, huh. So that's the album everyone bangs on about, is it? It's a little bit what I had with Rush here. The first time listening. Interesting. Because also, I know that you, as I, 
widely condemned Stuart Lee's writing on that one. Because <laughs> I, did. I saw his points. He ridded the he he viewed all of Ziggy Stardust as entirely adrift from its context, which I don't think you can do. I think it was 1981, and that matters. Yeah, and they were looking for a cash-in album. Oh, I'm, genu- genu- I- I'm genuinely furious. <laughs> do, do I exaggerate? You, you absolutely are exaggerating. You're exaggerating, and the folly of your statement will bite you, sir. Oh, t- t- tell me, tell me why I'm right. So let's have. So Tom Sawyer, why is what? it? What are they cashing in on? Playing less music for more money. How are they playing less? There are just more songs. songs. Yeah, they wrote shorter songs, but they wrote more of them. Mm, It's just lazy, (laughs) that's me. 2112. Lazy proggers. He's only got to put three or four songs on it because one of them's 20 minutes long. I would actually say, an album you haven't even heard, you're merely trying to be provocative, and it is working, I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Hook for the, the... <laughs> I'm becoming inarticulate with fury. <laughs> Incandescent with rage. I'm so, I'm so angry. This is <laughs> this is objectively an almost perfect record. It, is it? Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And objectively some, is it. Some of the poppycock that you have subjected <laughs> me to in the name of this endeavor. Some of the just noise and misogyny. It's just, and here I, because I did a bit of wider listening when it was my turn to do some research. You <laughs> oh, forgive me for broadening your horizons. In your, in your ivory tower, slagging off the, the death of Neil, yeah, the death of Neil Peart, a man reeling from tragedy, which came later. <laughs> hey, I'm cool. Me and Geddy Lee share a, a common bond. We've both appe- we've both appeared in that one issue of Bass Guitar Magazine, where dream he adored big children dream big. He he was the you know the front cover star, and I had a picture printed on page forty-two. Uh, but yes, yeah, so me and Geddy we corresponded over it. We we both said love your work. For the benefit of the listener, crucially, Geddy Lee was the star the subject, if you will, of the photograph, whereas you were merely the guy who happened to own a camera. You are not in the picture on page 42 of Bass Guitar Monthly. You know, I took the picture. I was the director of the artistic mind behind the picture. One would argue that that would be the bassist that you photographed. Which was who again, remind me? It was a band, actually. It was four of them. Uh, the guy from Hopeless Heroic, was it? Yes, Hopeless Heroic. For no, no longer operating Hopeless Heroic. Shot in our front room. Uh, but it you turned shot out... Them. Shot, shot them in my front room, yes. <laughs> uh, curtains drawn uh, with a lovely lamp. And... Yeah, Anywhere so... you said to them, lads, new metal is over. You have to accept it. You've got to move on. And when they refused, <laughs> you executed them. Well, after, you know, five hours of us arguing back and forth, something like that. Is that you doing corn? (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, but, you know, crucially, I was on page 60, page 45. Wow, it must have been a handsome fee for that. 
Mm. Yeah, I think it was printed out my knowledge, actually. But, but anyway, me and Getty, we're, we're tight. So, Of course you are, yes. Yeah. So what were your, obviously your first listen, it left you cold, mm. cold as ice. Mm. But then what did you make of it when you forced yourself to listen to it more than once? Oh, I grew lukewarm to it. So Tom Sawyer. <laughs> is, is that as high as you go, lukewarm? <laughs> no, no. Let's, let's see if on this journey through the album, my mind has changed at all. Yes. So Tom Sawyer starts off agreeably for my liking <laughs> it do does like start that. off with a for a night considering that it was like over 30 years ago it starts off with a noise of the future because to me given that i'm well, i'm 35 given that i'm 35 i will forever associate with space travel and lasers and so always a pleasure to hear it i mean it it looks so firmly towards the future but keeping it so firmly in the past in the 1980s. But that's what I want. I don't actually yeah. like the future. I'm going to live no, in the past very. where I can yeah. own and catalogue everything. Mm. Yeah, no, and it's it's a great opener in terms of the build of it. Is that the right melody? Anyway, uh, yeah, the, the bass and the guitar, the guitar is agreeably heavy. Alex Lyson so, can shred. Yeah, no, like, and to be fair, uh, Neil Peart's drumming is because I know that the, the 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 best drummers should almost just be there, and you don't notice they're there to keep time. They say, but it, I it is always. Mm, I like a flashier it, drummer, but he yeah, also and he, keeps impeccable time. But yeah, you know, it's nice to hear some flourishes on there. Neil, uh, I'm going to call him Neil. I'm going to. I like to think that we would have been chums, Neil. Mm. Um, is commonly regarded as one of the all-time great drummers. It, yeah, and you can very quickly um, see why. On top that's of simply it. a fact. However, my knowledge of how music works is so limited that I don't, I can't work. I can, I can tell you and hear that he is superb, but I don't yes. know why what he's doing. Is it that he just seems to hit more drums more quickly than everybody else? It, it could be that there's just so much showmanship going on with him. Like he's playing more, he's hitting more things than most people. He must be good. Well, I was listening to him talk about it before we recorded, and he oh, was he saying, come around, did he? "Yeah, yeah, yeah." From the grave, when he said, "I when I started, I just wanted power, and then I wanted speed, and then I wanted feel, and now I've got all of them together." And sounds like God. my usual Saturday night. <laughs> Does it? I want power. I want to steal. Do you? Is it? Does that sound like you? Is it? First, first I want comfort, and then I want compliments, and then I want a little cake. <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, sorry, what did Neil say after that? All of those interesting things that I just uh, outlined while you were working on your innuendo. <laughs> All those things and more. Wonderful. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I feel like I'm talking to a wall. <laughs> hey, this is what happens when you talk to me about an album I don't know that much about. It's, it's 
drums are good, Adam. Uh, hey, it's an album I don't even care about. <laughs> hey, lukewarm at best. It's uh, really, it's really strange though, because I'm talking about an album that I absolutely cherish, and it's, it's like I don't understand why you can't see what I'm seeing. <laughs> when was the first time you heard it? Um, probably just two or three years ago. Uh, yeah, so I, you were I, still kind of in the honeymoon period with it. I've not lived with Rush for a long time, but Moving Pictures was my first foray. Um, then I listened to various other things and uh, didn't particularly care for them because I wasn't at the point I'm at now where I am willing to, and nay, encourage bands to really stretch it out. Do a song that's about space and let it be long. But uh, I think Moving Pictures is a stone-cold belter. I mean, if you like long songs about space, you'd love Frank Sinatra's trilogy. Mm. Side side three of that album, or disc three, um, ooh, there's some songs on there will turn your head. I don't... See, I don't, I don't know whether or not what you're describing is even a real album. I, I would assume that it is. It's the album I... that uh, New York, New York comes from. And side three is his, his space opera. I'd like that. You would. It's, it's, it's Come on now, everyone imagine a nine, ten minute song by Frank Sinatra that's a space odyssey. Who did the, who wrote that? Because he didn't write his own stuff. Oh, that I can't remember off the top of my head. Let me have a quick old Wikipedia. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's the uh, Frank Sinatra trilogy, past, present, future. So, besides tri- <laughs> like, the pa- hey, Booby, hey, cats, what's happening in the future? It's all going to be in space, right? And they wrote a song, and that that was Frank Sinatra. Ah, it was also uh, it was also every other member of the Rat Pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, side one is the past, featuring Gershwin, Cole Porter songs. Uh, then you got the present, yep. where he does. Uh, I think I probably could have guessed that the present was next, but go on. Then he does uh, covers of songs like "Something" by George Harrison. Would they be songs that were pretty contemporary? Yes, well done, Adam. Well, blow uh, me down. Just the way you are by Billy Joel, MacArthur Park. Sinatra, MacArthur Park. Yep, you didn't know that, did you? Not going to be as good as Donna Summer's one, though, is it? No, that one's spellbinding. <laughs> yeah, and then the future, all songs written and arranged by Gordon Jenkins. All right, and at least Gordon Jenkins, and how did he get that gig? And uh, you have such song titles as "What Time Does the Next Miracle Leave," which is ten oh. minutes long, uh, followed by "World War None!" Exclamation! Oh God in heaven, that sounds. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, not not it, good, but fantastic. I've listened to it out of pure just curiosity, and it's not very good, but it is definitely worth just to listen to go, that that happened, yes, yes. And what's more bizarre is it's the album that spawned his version of New York, New York, which became one of his biggest songs. Yeah, I don't know it. What, New York, New York? Yeah, I've never heard it. You have. Yes, I have, yes. You have. I'm not sure what I was grasping for there. I, I know you're trying to find some way to get vengeance on me for yeah, my... Yeah. What, what you perceive my anti-Rush stance, even though that's... You know, I'm fairly indifferent on them. Well, but, um, um, I've got... not going to hurt I'm, me with my, 
with Frank Sinatra. It's okay. I'm contemplating two strands of attack. Uh, one, I'm going to start attacking simply red. You won't like that. Uh, and if that doesn't work, I'm just going to call you anti-Semitic <laughs> and attempt to have you cancelled. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I really like Tom Sawyer as it begins and, you know, that lovely build with everything's working so perfectly. And then the vocals kick in. Uh, is this going to be throughout the whole record? Are you just going to say, and no, then the vocals kick in? No, but, <laughs> but that was that was my main reaction the first time listening to it and being like, huh, that's what a Geddy Lee sounds like. <laughs> the only thing I would say against Geddy, two things against Geddy Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee, Lee. Against Mr. Lee. One, he is very, very difficult to sing along to in the car. He does have that going against him. <laughs> now his mind is not for rent. It's almost impossible. Uh, what you have to do instead is sort of sing the guitar bits. So yeah, that's what while, I was doing. while he's while he's warbling on, you have to go. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Um, the other thing about him is he's not he's not a funny man. Alex Liveson is a very funny man. Geddy Lee. Ooh, ooh, he's not. A lot of interviews with him, you just hear his his jokes clang off the floor. It's... I'm not going to say much because, um, you know, this is happening right now. So... Oh, I'm aware of the irony, yeah. <laughs> but let it not be lost. <laughs> um, yeah, Tom Sawyer, I think, is lyrically superb. No, as well. I will say that the listens I've given it to, um, it's very much, uh, yeah, it's, it's for the first listener being like, ha, huh, and this is supposed to be one of their biggest songs, is it? It's definitely grown on me. I can definitely see why it would get you going, especially seeing it live, because that riff is uh, thunderous. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that, that, that downshift of notes, it's almost guttural. And yeah, I don't, yeah. Like you say, you kind of you're singing along more with the melody than his voice. Yes, but just that that cascading kind of there's something really infectious about it. And then the, I just would break down. It is worth watching some of the live footage of them playing that song for a, mm. a couple of reasons. One, I would draw your attention to just how many drums there are around Neil. It's mm. too many drums. Secondly, mm. I alluded to the fact earlier that they were sort of. Well, they're they're dweebs, man. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but they are dweebs of the first water. And they spent a lot of the 70s um, wearing kimonos, which (laughs) is ill-advised. Geddy Lee is one of the only sort of... Yeah, of course you were, but that's excellent. One of the uh, only sort of rock stars where you'd say, Geddy, man, get a haircut. Have it a bit shorter because it's not working. He's got this enormous, enormous curly hair with a fringe as well to boot. It's it's bad. But if you that's sort of endearing when you watch them as well. That you can see, or I can see, why their fans absolutely cherish them. Like Neil was moved to write in one of his books, and he's written more than a few um, about what about the makeup of their audience, which is decidedly male, which I imagine absolutely astonishes you. Mm. Um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> Vinyl collectors, are they? 
I would say that there were uh, probably 76 beard, which has been achieved in that audience. And uh, the sort of remaining 24% uh, probably have beard aspirations. Mm, that would be me. Yeah. Yeah, yes, it would. <laughs> So is there like a an, an element with the Rush fan that enjoys the fact they aren't rock stars in the traditional sense completely, of the word? Completely. They're well, I think so. They're very they're very literate, sensitive men. Um there's a lot of literary reference and allusion in the lyrics, uh, which are all written by the drummer, which is quite unusual. Um and yeah, I think they are they are a sort of progressive band for well, I mean, all progressive rock fans think they're better than other people. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it it comes with the time signatures. It comes with <laughs> frequent references to dragons, but <laughs> um, with with that snobbery, there is there's definitely a thing that I think Rush are. They're a they're a cherished band. They are they are loved deeply. Yeah, no, I've, Very I've, I've few met Sunday some, Driver listeners. Yeah, I've met some Rush fans in my time, and they're hardcore Rush fans. Yeah, yeah. how many of them owned record shops? <laughs> I think, I think every record shop I've ever gone in, the the, the man because it's always a man uh, was behind a, always a... was behind the desk. They've, they've always been wearing Rush T-shirts. Yeah, Rush or Neil Young, um, but they there's, they probably like both. Probably. I imagine. If he was wearing his Rush T-shirt, the Neil Young one was probably in the wash. Probably, yes. And that being that he runs a record shop, and it is always a he, uh, it is regrettably probably the biannual wash that that T-shirt will receive. But still, I just want his approval for what I'm buying. As we've said before, Mike, the only thing that you... I mean, it's 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 because we were we were both brought up in quite a nurturing supportive homes so i would not know the uh frantic scramble for a father's love i've got that i'm after something more elusive my particular poison is the nod of and chin strap of approval of a man that i don't know the name of and whose personal hygiene i find questionable because look how many records he has <laughs> he's All got I... so he's got so many that he's willing to sell them to me <laughs> I'm just chasing that dragon of that man because it's always a man flipping, always a man. flipping over my proposed purchases and oh. looking looking for the price and then just going, oh, that's right. Oh, that's just what I'm after. Oh, that's a sweet spot. God, to, yes. When he, uh, or even better is when he slides them into the bag, just he gives you a nod. Or mm. eat the best is when he says, this is uh, it's really good, actually. Mm, mm. I mean, what the real sort of nirvana, which is I've personally never achieved, is when he went, uh, "Do you like any of their other stuff?" Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I like <laughs> all of it. But I don't actually. That's not true. I don't like all of it, but I do have to own all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is his lesser work, but but it's the only one I need. So, Red Barchetta. Red Barchetta. Based on a short story he'd read about a a dystopian future, aren't they all? Um, Nobody ever writes a story about a future where we've we've really nailed it all. Oh, everyone just had a brilliant time. Yeah. After some unpleasantness, we went on to great things. Um, 
yeah, dystopian future where the motor car has been outlawed. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I would say this is for me one of the lesser tracks. See, I. And, but it brings me to an interesting question. This is one of apparently, and there is a grand tradition of this: cars about car songs about cars, mm-hmm. and indeed commuting. Brackets general has. There have been a couple of really good ones, but it seems to be something that the people over that side of the Atlantic um, are a better at, but also have more of a thirst for. Mm. Not too many of those on this side of the pond that I could think of. Admittedly, I've done no internet-based research, just consulted my own head. Car songs from the UK. Go. Gary Newman Cars. And I'm car, I like driving in my car by madness. You see the problem. Yeah. Uh, the theme tune to Brum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, um, uh, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in love with my car. Awful business, but I, was, I mean, I like that. oh, it's, it's not good though, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's not good, but I like it. Um, I'm trying to think of now. You've set this challenge. What? Stop thinking of bus driver's prayer. What's I got to do anything, Michael? Um, you idiot, Mike. You absolute cretin. Um, no, no, nothing's, nothing's, uh, please, dear listener, please uh, get in touch with us on the social medias about British songs about cars. Or, frankly, other, just name songs about cars. Let's keep it broad. <laughs> the Clash brand new Cadillac doesn't count because it's a cover. Yep. Um, uh, I thought Little Red Corvette was fine. Um, that's Prince. That's, I know, yeah, but oh. I'm just, I've broadened it out. Oh, okay. The, uh, well, you got riding along my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. From memory, about a third of the Beach Boys output. Um, so this yeah. red, this red bruschetta. Um, Barchetta. Don't willfully, don't willfully do that. Don't do that. You, come on. <laughs> you, you were about to say you're better than that, and you stopped. Yeah, well, you're not better than that. But <laughs> the next so, one is what he's going. Do what? This red frusciante. You're turning into your father. Come so on. This, this red barbiturate. How? Uh, why Brilliant. is it? That, why is it? You're not a big fan in comparison to the other songs. I don't think it sounds as good. <laughs> Please continue <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> endeavor. I feel that it is a weaker song <laughs> because because of the noises that the three <laughs> minstrels have made. I, I actually quite like this song because it has, uh, I would say, a more chill vibe. Yeah, um, chill isn't but, what people want from Rush, Mike. Yeah, but me as the newbie to Rush, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, screw this newbies. Is, this is quite my tempo. Yeah, me, my guys, in the probably t-shirts that were black once and are now less black and they're probably stretched quite tightly around their midriffs and they may well be touched in tucked into their jeans because i look at those people and i think i bet you're really comfortable i can see the value in it you you are a man who now prizes comfort above all the things well i don't don't know how that's not entirely it's partially (laughs) true uh i can i can vibe with uh red Bavetti. I don't dislike it. It's good. Stop, good bass. Stop being your father. Stop being your father. <laughs> uh, I think the guitar solo on it is squatching. 
Yeah, it's one of those ones where definitely I'm a big fan of all the music I really like, the synth, and I don't know what effect they do on the guitar, but it's, I find it very agreeable. Uh, but again, once uh, Mr. Geddy Lee's voice comes in, it's like, oh, it's, things have been spoiled again. Well, it's not the... I don't think the... He's a, look, he's a great lyricist. He is a great lyricist. But it doesn't... It's not on my particular vibe stream. When he starts mm. talking about his uncle who's got a farm. I say, I yes, he does, yeah. I know they're Canadian and all, but it's too American. Well, it's the great secret that most Canadians do actually own farms and have to receive subsidies. Uh, it's kind of... It's known as the great Canadian shame. Did... Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you just say that most Canadians own farms? Yeah, I did. <laughs> most. It's, it's, most. It's, most is quite the term to chuck around. <laughs> most Canadians. I, th- I believe it's something most. like 98% of Canadians own farms or are engaged in farms. <laughs> yeah, or have some kind of deal with another farm to take some of their percentage of crop. I believe that's just called buying their crops. Which is, yeah. Which very much is how farming works. I mean, call you what you want to, Adam. It's I mean, the shame of a nation. I think, I think that you believe you're on a different podcast. <laughs> As you lift the lid on those farming fat cats. <laughs> fat cats in Toronto. Oh, Justin Trudeau is going to be screaming blue murder at you. I'd say they'd, like, burn you in effigy, but what they'd actually do is probably tut. Very polite, very polite. Ooh, that, would, that would cut to the quick. Although I'm, I'm aware that I'm trading in stereotypes just as freely as you are. <laughs> I didn't even a... say stereotype. I just said most Canadians... Most Canadians have... are farmers. Most Canadians are farmers. Most, most Canadians are corrupt farmers, and it's time I, I, it came I, to I, a stop. I don't libel here. I didn't say corrupt. I just said farmers. You said, and I quote, shame of a nation. Yeah. For other reasons. Didn't say they were corrupt farmers. Who said corrupt? You said corrupt. I didn't say corrupt. Then where's the shame? For different reasons, Adam, which I don't feel in this Rush-related episode we should go into. I don't think it serves Neil Pert's memory very well. Ah, Neil. So, Yiz. YYZ. Oh, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's named after the um, Morse code as they were flying into Toronto Airport. What, it says farms? (laughs) Yeah, well, as they were flying into (laughs) Toronto. Farm, farm, farm. Into Toronto's main farm, which, for the purposes of this anecdote, had an airport. Way runway <laughs> cleared. Um, they'd managed to move most of the cattle and the corn. Um, if you look out to your left, you'll see several farms, and if you look out to your right, you'll see more farms. And if you look straight down the middle of the plane, you'll see us rush. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, it was, but it's the Morse code for Toronto Airport is the opening sort of riff. It was a originally a bass and drums workout, which so those bells at the start, which I'm listening to right now, or are those just bells? 
at the start, or they're supposed to be Bell's doing Morse code? Neither, it's just the riff. Oh, why have they got Bell's in there then? What are they, they bringing to the party? Bells on. They started as a basic. They literally Stop put talking. bells and whistles on it. Stop talking. Stop talking. At one point, there's a, I believe there's a whip sound. There's a whip? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's loads of whips in Devo. That's fine. But they whipped it. They whipped it good. Yes, they did. And as well they might. But YYZ is based on the Morse code of the Toronto farm-based airport. I see. And did you ever ask them why? At what, when, on the many occasions where I met them? Mm, when you had occasion to meet with them? No, I was working on the farm. Oh, of course. Shame of a nation. <laughs> Shame of a nation. Yeah. No, I was engaged as, I believe they call it a hand, a farm hand, um, is the terminology we, certainly, it's certainly the terminology we used on my farm. Um, other farms may be different. Farm slugger bed. But I was a farm hand. Um, and I was responsible mainly for, for well, sort of agricultural uh, tasks, mm-hmm. clearing debris, whatnot. Mm. Uh, never got paid, presumably, because they were waiting for their subsidies to come in. Sub- subsidies. <laughs> so, uh, sweet subsidies. So Yiz is an instrumental. Um, I, I have remembered that, right? Yeah. Yes. So presumably you enjoyed it because it removed Geddy Lee from the equation. I Well... See, this is where it throws itself back into prog territory, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Like, I can dig a 20-minute sprawling epic with synths, Mellotron, Dragon Talk, but just start doing some noodly old bass stuff going really quick. That's where you start losing me. Oh, I love all that. I love that. I mean, I love bass, but just the whole, the very Frank Zappa-esque kind of... Yeah, yeah, I'm not impressing it. There is a lot to be said, though, for just a band going, hey, guys, look how well we can play. And it is guys they're talking to. It's usually men. Yeah. Where is Tom Sawyer and Little Juice Coop, whatever it's called, have grown on me? Mm. I would say Yiz is um, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine to leave this one uh, off the playlist. Oh, I think it's an absolute jam. I could see how it could get some people at the party going, but not for me. Okay, well, I'll be over there at the corner of the party with them. Scr- well, presumably scratching my beard um, at all their <laughs> beards. Sir, may we? Yes, grab a ladder, lads. <laughs> grab a handful, my boys. Yeah, I think it's great. Hmm? Yeah, and that ends side one as well, doesn't it? Does it or does limelight? Oh, of course, limelight. Apologies. So, is it a case of limelight and the camera eye almost of a piece? No. Ah, okay, I misread that then. Uh, not really, no. Uh, limelight is about their their experience of growing fame. Mm. Like, well, yeah, given the title, obviously, yeah. and of course the lyrics, it's like living in a gilded cage, which is a great line. Beyond the gilded cage, I believe is the line. Mm. Uh, I also, because I'm that way inclined, I enjoy the quoting of Shakespeare, because when I hear that in a song, I go, <laughs> "I recognise that." <laughs> yeah, limelight, I think, is a scorching track. I was. Yeah, thinking, I, I think it's lovely and sort of interesting that he wrote a song about how difficult fame was on an album that was about to make him way more famous. Mm. 
So he was already struggling. And then he wrote a series of songs which everybody went and thought were terrific. Just God damn it! <laughs> and he probably said it like that. Oh no. Neil is very softly spoken. I was reading uh, I was reading an awful lot of Voltaire at the time. Wasn't Voltaire, but you Not know, he reads a lot. <laughs> Your lad reads a lot. It's probably something really smart. Yeah, my yeah. go-to, I need somebody really smart, is always Voltaire, a man I know nothing about. <laughs> no, I I like Limelight. It's, um, it has an energy. And, Living uh, in the limelight. Yeah, it's it great. just has a... It's just it's a really um, pulsating. I'll go with track, and it's, I think I I think I prefer it to Tom Sawyer in a way because Tom Sawyer kind of has these peaks and troughs throughout and keeps moving around. Whereas it almost sounds like a really boring thing to say. Limelight just has this constant tempo to it that I just kind of enjoy, and it just it it comes in. It's like four minutes, just bashes you on your head. Yeah, the lyrics are kind of it's kind of interesting because you know they're autobiogra- semi autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. And musically, it's just like the, the bass is great on it as well. So, the one thing yeah. you cannot call into question with Rush is the musicianship. I mean, they mm. they really can play. It might then what they play might be an acquired taste, but Lord above, they know how to work their instruments. Yeah, I'd say as well, this is the the main track on the album potentially, which sounds like for most, I'd say pop fodder. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. You can almost imagine that they've had this album then looked at the list when limelight's the main single except it wasn't it wasn't but you can kind of imagine that being the case yeah yeah you, you can see that's what maybe the studio heads would say mm. when they got in from the farms eh, mike <laughs> yeah adam <laughs> this guy uh, has. um yeah no i think limelight is terrific the next one i think Kamarai is the yeah, it's the longest song that they would then record. Yeah, I I've read that this would be their last po- uh, over ten minute track. Yeah, after having done many of them. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's not. It, I mean, it's not no- noticeably longer than ten minutes. It's it's ten minutes and change, but it's uh, yeah, it was really it, it was another one that was based on a book that he'd read, mm. which was or a guy who just wrote. Uh, sort of snapshots of America from the point of view of the camera eye. It was quite like an, I think it was. He said it was like an experimental book released in the thirties. Hmm. That's the caliber of man we're dealing with. <laughs> I was reading experimental novels from the thirties, and but, also short stories about cars. But it, it is an instrumental, isn't it? So I have remembered that right again. Have I? Nope. Isn't it? No. Ah. Well, maybe it's because I prefer the second half of the song, which I think is mostly instrumental. Oh, yeah. I don't think it, it's not drowning in lyrics. No. Yeah, because Mercy, the, the first couple of minutes with the uh, the synths involved, they all, they definitely 1981, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'd say the second half... Um, Oh, yeah. yes, I've, I've just read the lyrics and I'm reminded that the other influence in the Neil Peart grab bag of influences was Steinbeck, who apparently wrote that each city had its own quality of light, which is why those um, 
there's like lines about a soft spring rain like an English rain and so on. There's a lot of the lyrics are about how certain places were reminding him of other places and stuff. You know, like there's they chase through the streets of Manhattan. Mm. As Geddy gamely tries to force <laughs> his mouth mouth round all of the syllables that Neil has written. <laughs> Yeah, I think for a you know the eleven minute essentially song, I've, there's there's enough in the camera eye musically, I think, to keep you interested, and it changes up enough because it's essentially two songs in one as well. I mean, you yeah. could be forgiven if you you know you weren't paying attention to the tracklist. You'd think another song had started yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. through. Uh, yeah, I definitely prefer the second half. Though. I think it's got a nicer fusion of the uh, the. the horrendously 80 synth and yeah. a strong mighty riff the only my only misgiving about the entire song is uh, the way that he says the word westminster um leaves me cold <laughs> something I, I clocked it oh it's, I, it's 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 difficult to replicate but it's certainly it's I don't want to do Geddy a disservice, but it sounds like somebody that is reading the word that he and he's never actually been there. Westminster. It, it's not even remotely that. But um, thanks for joining in. So, so the next song is probably my favourite track on the album, "Witch Hunt," part three of Fear. I so- absolutely called that. <laughs> was it just from the title alone? Michael like that? Uh, no, because I was uh, broadly familiar with the album. So I thought uh, the sound of it was something that you would like. But also, yes, that title is one that would appeal to you. Unlike YYZ, which I imagine you looked at and went, not even a word. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what a bloody hell that. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. So this is the, the best Dio song he never did. And the only one that was recorded as a piece. So they went and, not to be designed to be played live, so they went and recorded the bit outside. Sorry, the the bit at the beginning, you know, the crowd noise. Yeah. They just recorded themselves huddled outside the studio with a bottle of whiskey going, hub up, hub up, hub up. Huh. And some of it, I believe, is from Superman. Really? I'm going to have to listen to that back now. I believe Uh so, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I can hear it now, yeah. Something about selling fruit. Yeah, and... Uh, Join me, Superman! Oh, yeah, I hear it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, this this song is just... I mean, even just from the title alone, Witch Hunt, it, it is an agreeably preposterous-sounding song. And when I say the word preposterous, I mean it as a compliment. I love songs that are just this grand and to a certain extent stupid sounding just that dun, 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 dun. it's it and done on those and not they wouldn't have been cheap but kind of what now sound like pretty cheapy synths yeah it's just that faux pomposity to it it i find it really endearing yeah well you love all that stuff don't you i, do. I, I really really like the the second uh, verse Features distorted in the flicker, like faces are twisted and grotesque. Down, 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 down. So was it was it actually a part one or two of Fear, or is it just a, a convoluted title? 
Um, I think it's just um, it's something that might have been attributed to it later on. Right. It was. I think it was just a song. Just a song. Just just a humble song. I was just wondering if there was actually another humble, album. Preposterous song. I wonder if there was Fear Part One or you know. No, I don't think so. Two of. I think they're 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 just two songs and they're they're viewed to be a triptych. Okay. But I could be completely wrong because the other two songs are taken from albums that I don't know. So my my rush is you've got your seventies rush, you've got your you've got your dragons and your space and your priests that are banning music, and then some lad finds a guitar, that type of thing, that type of thing. And uh, then I basically jump straight to moving pictures. I I, am a, I would call myself a Rush neophyte, honestly, but um, what I like, I really like. Knows what he likes. I do, and what I like is some Rush albums. <laughs> <laughs> there's no reason why I haven't got round to them, other than, you know, time, and there's a lot of music in I, the world. I do find there's a bizarre thing as well when you find an album... Uh, that you really like, you really cherish as well. You're almost loath to go listen to the other albums by that particular yeah. artist because you're worried that it won't be as good, and if it's not, it'll slightly tarnish the yeah, other one yeah. somehow. I've I've listened to so the albums that I've I own. I've got a lot of the big ones like Twenty One Twelve and Hemispheres and Moving Pictures, obviously. And I've listened to some like some of their earlier ones like Caress of Steel. Oh, it's Ooh. not. Oh, it's That's great. Amazing. It is a one hell of a title. And it's got um and there's an album which has got a bad cover though. There's an album called Fly by Night, which has got a really good cover involving an angry owl. Nice. Um, but then I've listened to some of their other albums, what you might call the late eighties. Mm. And you think, Oh, I don't care. I don't care. This is this is very underwhelming. <laughs> mm. Bit too synthy, not enough shredding. Right. And to be fair on this, I think the mix is pretty good on that front. Yeah, no, they, uh, I believe that none of the band have ever disowned this album. This is an album that they believe stands mm. up and they're still proud of. And most of those songs would stay in the sort of live catalogue forever. Mm. I mean, as well they might. Witch Hunt is definitely one I would like to see live. I just. Yeah, it's even got the faux sound of a male choir in the back as well. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah oh, a, yeah. It's preposterous. I love it. It is It is preposterous, which is, to be honest, why I thought it would be the one for you. Yeah, that would definitely be getting some spins at the party. Yeah, it's not much of a party, though, is it? No, it's not, started, it's not got going yet, Adam. It's only <laughs> the first, first hour of it. Not a popular not a popular party. That's, that's why we're, we're getting Russian now before you know everyone starts piling in. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it would all help thin the herd, certainly. And certainly what we need to look for this party is some vital signs. Yes, vital signs, are, it, for me, is very much Red Barchetta's sister piece in that I sometimes find it a bit, eh, maybe I'll skip. And I think yes. my main problem with it is uh, the reggae vibe to it. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't clocked that, but now you say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even his vocals have a slight... 
Yeah. Eating, yeah. It's like the, you know, the, the verse, a tired mind become a shapeshifter. Everybody need a mood lifter. Everybody need reverse polarity. Now, ordinarily, words like reverse polarity for me in a song are like catnip. But here, oh, they don't work. They don't work for me. Yeah. Uh, I do. I like the outro to um, DMA Cavo. Forgive me, vital signs. Um, what's it? What's the phrase he keeps repeating? Oh yeah, everybody got mixed feelings. Yeah. yeah. I quite like the way that repeats and kind of fades out. I think that's quite a nice album closer in a way. And those simps have gotten real computery robotic at this point. Yes, they have, haven't they? Yeah. Like I like everybody dance. got to deviate from the norm as a lyric. That's quite good. But there are some... Ah, that's another problem. Where you've got vaguely science fiction lyrics, but they sound awful. You know, like um, Man vs. Machine, that mm. Queen song? Yeah. Where they talk about having microchips for tea. Awful. Awful <laughs> business. When people is... have no concept of what science actually is, talk, treating it as some kind of hazy, mysterious thing <laughs> that sorcerers uh, create. It is. Like Neil Neil and Brian May are both very intelligent men that were better than this. <laughs> Pause, rewind, replay, warm memory chip. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, that's not how they work. Absolutely not. Don't rewind memory chips. What are you on about? Ass! <laughs> yeah, it's that farmer's upbringing. Well, I mean, yeah, they'd, they'd probably never even seen an escalator. <laughs> Simple country folk. Rush. <laughs> So it sounds like by the end of this album, Adam, you've actually gone off it and I've gro it's grown on me. No. Um, the, the problem there is that Vital Signs is the closing number. I think I that... I don't mind Vital Signs. I don't mind it. I just don't, mm. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the others. I think Red Barchetta is better than Vital Signs. I think Vital Little Signs... Little Red Barchetta. Yeah. If Vital Signs was maybe a bit less reggae, I'd be keener on it. Now, Rush... I've made no bones about the fact that it's a bit reggae-y and have said that they really like reggae and that's fair enough they're entitled to their opinion and to make the records however they like it doesn't work for me personally and I also find some of the lyrics a little bit trite uh, I don't like that everybody need <laughs> I mean for one it's everybody needs <laughs> come on guys <laughs> come yes. on come on come on it's I need, everybody needs. <laughs> guys, guys, can I just, sorry, do you want to, can you get out the tractor just for two seconds? Shame can of the Can you come down from that John Deere, Geddy, please? Not a fan. But, you know, it's still a reasonable song on an excellent album. I think the album's a masterpiece. The... I liked also the fact there's only seven songs on it. Yeah, no, it, and even though there's a, an 11 minute song on there, it's a relatively doesn't short out, album. Doesn't outweigh, doesn't outstay its welcome. No, not at all, because it does have that feeling of it being two songs. So, yes. you know, if you just plugged in and just let the, just ignore the track listing and everything, just listen to it start to finish. Yeah, it, it canters through at an agreeably quick pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if like you, it leaves you lukewarm, you're in and out. It does. Yeah. It's no, not, what I will doesn't say, ask too much of you. 
I've listened to it four or five times now. At, you know, and when you suggested it for our first listens, I was quite looking forward to it because it, it was a good start for me with an album I hadn't heard before. Well, that so, I've been banging on about it to you for a while now. Well, that as well. And in fact, I'd never listened to any Rush. I just had this complete you know, ignorance. So it was good to actually have something to force me to go listen to them. Yes, initially left me completely cold and it was very much a huh so that's what rush sound like fine <laughs> um, but having now listened to it a few times it's definitely already grown on me and a couple of songs like um witch hunt and actually camera eye have really grown on me Will and they would be making it on to your personal playlists yes i think i think so i think definitely yeah. Oh, yeah. Which one? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd love I, to know if there was an algorithm that could work out just how many songs you have that begin with the ominous tolling of bells. Um. Uh, fifteen. Uh, That's a lot. That's a lot of songs that use the same trope. Anthrax uses a lot of bells. Anthrax. What a ridiculous proposition. <laughs> anthrax the very idea oh i might bring some anthrax to the party sometime i, well, I hope you do because I, otherwise I, I can see myself never really listening to them much like yourself perfect. and rush perfect there you go i've got an excuse to listen to anthrax at some point i mean anthrax am i right in assuming it's sort of silly punk to begin with yes well no it was ah. always, to begin with is more flash then okay. it became more of your overblown bells and church bells. I and mean. that's really when you come swooping in, is it? <laughs> Call me when you bring the bells. <laughs> yeah, and... Riding your spectral condor into the sound <laughs> of church bells. So, yeah, I... I it's, a, it's a soft recommend for me, but I'd be more than willing to keep it playing at the party. Oh, I see. Is that the conceit, is it? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to try and force that one in. Oh, fine. Okay. Um, It's it's going to tell you what, it's going to be a very vague and varied party with an inconsistent soundtrack and, I'd say, very little dancing. So what's your favourite track on it, then, if you had to pick one off its masterpiece? It's tricky. Uh, Could I have side one? No. Uh, then I would probably... I really like the lyrics of Limelight. I really like the show-offy, bombastic nature of YYZ. But I I think it would be Tom Sawyer. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean stride. Was that what he says? Because I just said... Just being quite nice. Why do you have to spoil it? Because I just can't let myself enjoy pleasure, Adam. Nice. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, it's great. In fairness, though, it will be quite nice to be able to take it out of my car for a bit. Just put something else in that slot. (laughs) Really listen to it to death, I'd say. Well, yeah, now now we've now we talked to about it at length to everyone at the party. 
we can put it away for yeah. a bit. Now I've really bored the arse off people with just how how, how much of a genius Neil Pert was. And he, he absolutely was. Mm. Uh, just a gifted polymath of a man. And so charming. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not sure I'll be running out to listen to more Rush off the back of this. I would suggest that you gave Hemispheres a listen. Okay. Uh, if only... Uh, Hemispheres is definitely... It's the one that I'd say you'd want to own for the cover. It's just like a couple of floating brains with like, um, you know, a, a suited gentleman with a bowler hat stood on it's one not, of them. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It sounds silly. It is silly, but it's uh, really no. good. Mm. It's only four songs long. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I can squeeze that one in between phone calls. I mean, track one is quite long, but it's called something like Sick Cygnus XR1 or something. It's Oh, piss off. No, I'm not listening <laughs> to this shit. But it's great. Yeah. Uh, whose turn is it next week, Mike? Well, Adam, I think to find out who will be picking next week's album for the party, <laughs> we should spin the wheel. Hooray! Spin the wheel. Mike. Hey, it's me. Hey, hey. Right, so I get to pick the next album. What's it going to be, Mike? And Adam, next time, I'll be bringing to the party Tyler the Creator's Igor. Yeah, that sounds like something I'll enjoy. You would enjoy that. It's hip-hop and it's relatively current. Oh, hip-hop. Great. And it was um, made in the last two years. They, no, that can't be true. They've stopped making music now. We all agreed. Mm. <laughs> After 1989. Come on, lads. Pack it up. Let's all go home. That'll do. That'll do. No more. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to know what you uh, make of Tyler the Creator. Oh, I imagine that my opinions will be... I mean, I will go into it with a thankful heart and an open mind, but I would guess that my opinions will be... Ooh, broadly negative. <laughs> but I, don't know, I don't know. I think you might find some hey, gold in there. I'll give it a blast. But I, I my experiences with hip-hop have not been overwhelmingly positive. Okay. As I, I, I think there is a tendency sometime, in some of the hip-hop that I've listened to, and I appreciate that it's a, a multifaceted and varied art form, but there is a tendency... For a lot of songs to be about possessions and or how much they hate ladies. Oh, that'll do it for this first party. Yes. Thanks for coming. But do do come again, everyone. As we continue this crazy old party where we'll be listening to my pick next time. And the whole idea of this podcast is we're going to listen to a variety of different styles, time periods, vibes. Yeah, so, a lot of different time periods that all fall within 1965 and 1980. For the <laughs> Yes. So, almost as a reaction to this, I will probably be staying away from the 70s because I know Adam will cover it at some point on the album I like. I'll be mining that decade in some depth. <laughs> so, I, hey, it's all you, baby. You take that, you take that decade. 
10 blessed years where everybody wore jeans and leather and had long hair. Yes. And a lot of songs about Tolkien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you would like to come find us on the social medias, we do have Facebook, Twitter, and email. So you can find us on Facebook under... What are we called again? Under Listen Party Pod. And we're on Twitter at Party Listen. Because I couldn't get the other handle. And you can the one with us. the blue skull with pink headphones on it. You've got it. Yeah, with the yellow background. It's a pretty cool image. I think you will agree. And you can email us at listenpartypod at gmail.com. So, and we'll include links to places where you can stream and download the album if you wish to buy Although, it. Although, given that this is quite a, a big album, um, the answer to that is uh, anywhere. I mean, yeah, but online, I'd say. I mean, if you, if you fancy it, you, you have your phone out. You go, oh, we'll just click on the link here. We'll put them in the description. I mean, I'm assuming that if you've come to this podcast because you're already a fan of this album, welcome. Um, I like you. Uh, I assume you don't already need to buy this, but you should hang around for the next one because, well, people like us need to have our parameters challenged, and that's really what Michael's here for. <laughs> <laughs> as well as insulting a cherished Canadian institution, and I mean both farming and rush. Isn't that? Yeah, so sorry if you have come here as a primarily a rush fan. Or yes, a, a fan of Canada. We will be moving on to different things next time, as is as it's a programme's remit. Different thing every time. Bingo. So until the next party, we'll say good night. Bye bye.